0: Although we're sometimes tempted to do the opposite, never underestimate the value of asking, seeking, and knocking before the throne of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says that we find grace and obtain mercy to help in time of need when we go to the throne of grace. I think there will be surprises on the day of judgment because as Christians we sometimes wonder how much good our prayers do. I think that we'll find that God blessed this nation due to praying people over its existence. I think that we'll find that God heard our prayers when we prayed for people that were hurting And it made a difference in their lives. Don't you? I think that when we pray for those that have recently lost loved ones and are sorrowing and grieving, that when we pray for them, that God hears our prayers and He comforts and blesses. I believe that there is far greater power to our praying than most of us ever realize. And on the day of judgment... I believe that there will be people in heaven because of your prayers and mine. I believe that there will be people that could have wandered away that will be in glory because of your prayers and mine. Don't underestimate the value of praying for the local church. We often pray for those that are sick and are missionaries and that we might have leaders that would continue to stand for what's right and that they might have good presence of mind in directing us. And I have no qualms with the things that we pray about. But I wonder if we pray like Paul prayed for the church. It's really something to think about, something to contemplate. Go to Philippians chapter 1 and let me introduce you briefly to the three primary parties that are mentioned, especially in our text, Philippians 1 9 through 11. Before we look at praying for the church and how Paul went about it in this case, first of all, consider Jesus the first of three main characters, Jesus. If you look at the first 11 verses, Jesus is referred to specifically no less than seven times in 11 verses. Just in the first two verses, Paul has to refer to Jesus three times. Jesus Christ is the Son upon which all of Paul's thought and love revolves. Jesus is mentioned in a little book like Philippians. Four chapters, 104 verses. He's mentioned 52 times specifically. One out of every two verses... So more than being a book about Paul and more than being a book about the Philippians, Philippians is a book about Jesus. And our lives are like that too, or they ought to be. Secondly, think about the Philippian church. Brother Avon Malone years ago would refer to the church of Philippi as Paul's sweetheart church. He was unusually close to the church of Philippi. The church of Philippi, along with the church of Thessalonica, were probably two of the churches, and we know how much Paul loved the church, period, but the church of Thessalonica and Philippi in particular were very dear to his heart. So much so that Philippians is pretty much a thank you letter for their support and encouragement over the years. You'll see that in Philippians chapter 4 toward the end of the book. But not only is it a thank you note where he kind of updates them concerning his work, Philippians is a word of encouragement to this group of people because as much as he loved them, he knew that there was an undercurrent of difficulty that the church was facing. They were dealing with adversaries without. Notice Philippians 1 27 to 30. They were dealing with internal conflict within. Remember Euodia and Syntyche, Philippians 4, 2 and 3. And here in his sweetheart church, if you will, he sees that there's a possibility of ugliness and he writes to encourage them because he cared for them so. Well, we've looked at two of the three main characters, Jesus and the Philippian brethren. The third is... Is Paul himself a towering intellect? Paul was a towering intellect, even more than Carl Ivanhoe towers over Mike Vestal. A towering intellect, so much so that he could discuss in synagogues the old law with rabbis, Acts chapter 13, for example. But he could also discuss the truth of God with philosophers as he did in Acts 17 at Athens. A towering intellect, to be sure. And when you just look at the New Testament and you look at those 27 books... Paul, through the Holy Spirit, penned at least 13 of the 27 books. And that tells us a lot. He's a towering intellect and he's a person who was mightily used by God. No question about that. He was an... Apostle to the Gentiles, Acts 9, 15 and 16, although he had a Jewish background himself. But when I think of Paul, I would encourage you not to get lost in his towering intellect or the abilities that he had that might seem overwhelming... I think it's good to think about Paul's love for the church. His love for the church. He spoke of the care that he had, the concern for all the churches. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. But here in Philippians, as well as other passages, we see Paul praying for the church. And what I'd like for you to think about with me tonight is outside of the Lord Jesus, I cannot think of an individual that can help us more in praying for the church than Paul. Can you? Others may be able to help us, but I can't think of anyone who would help us more than Paul outside of Jesus himself. Now if you're there in your Bibles at this particular point in time... Paul is in prison. It's between 60 and 62 A.D. And he writes four letters we call the prison epistles. Go to Ephesians and you'll see one of his prayers in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. These prayers are full of Jesus and they are full of God's will and blessing for His church. You see one in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. I would encourage you to study these prayers. And Troy, maybe we ought to ask ourselves, do we pray like Paul did for the church? Go to Ephesians 3, look at verses 14 through 21. Another prayer of Paul for the church of Jesus Christ. His love for the church made him pray for the church. So should our love for the body of Christ, the blood purchased people of God. Then you have Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that we'll examine tonight. And a fourth prayer is found in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Justin, it's your last evening with us for a while. Any of those passages when you get to Ackerley and start working and teaching are great passages to help the church at Ackerley or wherever. These are prayers we can pray for the church right here, right now, in real time. Look at Philippians 1, through 9-11 with me. In English as well as the original language, it's one long sentence. One long sentence. What you will see are five guidelines for praying for a local church. Five guidelines for praying for the local church. Here's the first one. Look at verse 9. And this I pray, Paul writes, that your love abound. Here is guideline number one. Pray that the love of the church abound. Philippians 1 verse 9. Pray that the love of the church abound. Notice how verse 9 begins with the little word and. You'll see it in every major translation. That little word connects to two verses. It connects first of all to verse 8 when Paul says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus. And here is proof of his affection... And it also links with verse 4 of Philippians 1 which says, I pray for you with joy. Here is an example of the praying that he does for the church at Philippi and the joy that fills his heart when he thinks of this, his sweetheart, church. And this I pray that your love... May abound. The word for love is that word agape, which has to do with giving, sacrificing, noble love. That your love abound. What I'd like to say is this where's the object? He simply makes a, blake, a blanket statement that your love abound. By that I mean, Jim Lorenz, it doesn't say in your copy of God's Word that your love for God abound. That your love for Jesus abounds, Steve. It doesn't say, Bob, that your love for the church abound. It doesn't say, Adam, that your love for one another abound. That your love for the truth abounds, Brother Terry. Or that your love for the lost abound. But all of that's included It's a comprehensive statement that the church abound in love means lavishly, richly, and in an overflowing, superabundant way that the church display love, period, for all those that I just mentioned. Now turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 4 and I'll read the passage because it's a description of what Paul is getting at here in this first guideline. This I pray that your love abound. Now the term is found 29 times in the New Testament but 26 times in Paul. It's really one of those words that we can say... That's Paul's word. You think about it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Remember that one? Just one of the other references. But look at Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love... Any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others that is a very graphic way of describing the love that he speaks of in this passage. Philippians 1.9 You might also put, see 1 Corinthians 13. So whether we're talking about love for God, for Jesus, for, for the truth, for the gospel, for souls, for one another... Love is to be lavishly expressed and overflowing among God's people. Some people almost act as if that's not a good thing to, to be praying about or talking about anymore. But Paul prayed about it. And we would help encourage Westside to be a more Christ-like church by praying that same Notice, secondly, this guideline, also from verse 9. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more to be ever increasing, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, with all knowledge and discernment. Here's the guideline. Pray for the church to have abounding love with knowledge and discernment. Love without knowledge is soft. Knowledge without love is hard and can be brutal. Paul prays that the church at Philippi have abundant love with knowledge and discernment. Now, catch this, Roger. There's only one little bitty preposition that your love may abound in knowledge and discernment. It doesn't say in knowledge and in discernment. It says in knowledge and discernment. They're closely linked. Knowledge and discernment. The word knowledge here has to do with an intimate and rich and personal relationship with God. God. Ignorance of God's and His will will not make us more loving people. True love will have the knowledge of God, a rich and deep and intimate and genuine love of God and His will behind it. And then the word discernment. Discernment is a word that has to do with knowing what's best from what's good. And it's a word that is particularly common in the book of Proverbs. As a matter of fact, it's found 22 times in Proverbs. Good judgment. Here's the idea. The love of that you are to manifest is to be lavish and overflowing like a cup overflowing like a river that has gone well beyond its banks with knowledge of God that is real and personal and intimate and discernment where you apply insightfully, wisely God's knowledge in your everyday decisions and in your relationships. That's what Paul prays. We would be well advised, Joe, to pray for the church here at Westside that we share abundant love that overflows and is lavish but with knowledge and discernment. Guideline number three. Look at Philippians 1 verse 10. The text says that you approve the things that are excellent or that you distinguish among things that differ. The guideline that I'd like to bring out is this. Pray that the church make the best decisions... For Christ's sake. Pray that the church make the best decisions for Christ's sake. And now I realize that we live in a time when many churches have gotten so far away from God that we have to to pray that they will make right decisions as opposed to wrong ones. Because we've all probably, if we've been Christians any length of time, have been around churches that did not make God-honoring choices. And it breaks our heart. But it's not just about what's right and wrong. Put down by Philippians 1 and verse 10, these three words, good, better, and guess what the last one's going to be? Best. Pray that the church... Make the best choices for Christ's sake. Approve the things that are excellent. And the idea is that there is the ability in a church to evaluate and to scrutinize and to make judgments... that reflect a sincere desire to love and please the Lord. Approve the things that are excellent. Number four. Let me stop for just a second and catch this. Paul tells the church as he's praying for them what he's praying Here's what he says. He says, I'm praying that your love may abound and be overflowing. That's what I'm praying. Then he says how that love is to abound or overflow. In knowledge and discernment. See that? And the rest of the passage there in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 pretty much tells us why so that you may approve the things that are excellent, so that you may be pure and blameless, and that you might be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you see it? So let's focus on number four, a fourth guideline. Paul prays that the church be pure and blameless. Paul prays that the church be pure and blameless. Let's look at the word pure unstained, unpolluted, sincere, and authentic. That's the idea. And it's a lot like the old spiritual song we sing Purer in heart, O God, help me to be. Keep me from secret sin, reign thou my soul within. Purer in heart, help me to be. Our prayer is that the members here at Westside are pure. Secondly, that the church is blameless. And just as the word pure can carry with it the idea of unstained and unpolluted and sincere and genuine and real, so the idea of blameless can mean without offense or it can mean without causing stumbling Sometimes our actions, if we're not careful as a congregation, can cause stumbling to others. Maybe even here in the congregation. Think about this. Blameless and pure. Now think about that from the angle... Wasn't Jesus completely pure? Wasn't our dear Lord blameless in the fullest sense of the word? It gives us something as the church, the bride of Christ, something to which to aspire. Something that we can hope to gain more of. A sense of purity and blamelessness in Him. Lastly, now notice what he said here. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Here's the goal. Here's our real ambition. Go back to Philippians 1 verse 6 because it says, He who began a good work in you is able to complete it to the day of Christ. When it comes to being more loving, more knowledgeable and more discerning and approving the things that are excellent and being pure and blameless, we're not alone. It doesn't all depend on us. Though our involvement is significant, the Lord will help us until the time that the day of Christ comes. There's something really comforting about that. He that began a good work in you will be able to complete it, to fulfill it. Day of Christ, day of Christ. Now look at this fifth guideline from Philippians 1.11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We pray that the church be filled with righteousness to the glory of God. What's kind of neat is when I think about this, verse 9 begins talking about love. It talks about knowledge and discernment. Verse 11 talks about righteousness, which comes by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And by the time the prayer is over, and it's not a long prayer, we have got love and knowledge and discernment. We've got righteousness and fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus all to the praise of God. Why I said that Paul is a good one to look at to learn more about prayer I hope now is even more obvious. Outside of Jesus himself, I think Paul has as much or more to teach us about praying than anyone in the New Testament. Our public prayers, I would suggest humbly... Should reflect more of the depth of Paul's praying. True, we will always pray concerning elections and economies and the sick and job losses. But the matters that Paul deals with in this prayer are far weightier. Abundant love, true knowledge and discernment, making good choices for Christ's sake, being pure and blameless as God's people and being filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes by Jesus. After all, He's the vine and we're the branches, John 15, 1-11 apart from him we can do nothing john 15:4 and 5 if more of us prayed for the church at west side like paul prayed for the church at philippi we would be amazed at god's response don't forget to pray for the church at Westside like that, please. My time is gone. Thank you for listening. We are about to stand and sing a song of encouragement and while this lesson has been primarily for members of the body of Christ, it is wonderful to know that we have a God who cares so much. He sent Jesus. And that you can respond to His love and mercy and grace through faith, repentance and baptism and have your sins washed away by Jesus and what He accomplished at the cross. Have you come to Him? All the prayers in the world won't save you unless you come to Jesus. But we are thinking about you and we're praying for you at this moment to respond. And for those of us who are Christians, if we pray for the church of our dear Lord more like this, the Lord will hear and bless. And what a difference it can make. Let's stand and sing.